Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Dark Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Um, how do, how do I put this? Uh, let's just go with good. I've spent basically... I, I got a phone call today about a potential job and doing a phone interview tomorrow. I spent most of the day playing Borderlands, which is like my big obsession right now. It's not like I'm new to it. I played Borderlands years ago, but I've just been getting re-into it. And I got my lady to start playing Borderlands with me, and I love any time me and her can play games together. So, yeah, I'm going to say I'm in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, see, I gave up on playing games with Slagathor long, long ago when we tried to play the original Gears, and she charged off into the enemy, proceeded to die, and said, Ah, help me. And I just realized, okay, this isn't going to work. I told you not to run off in the dark corners, and you immediately did that. Uh, there are some players you gotta be, you know, patient with. And for me, playing with my lady is important enough to me that I will do what needs to be done. <laughs> well, speaking of people that do what needs to be done, let's talk about our patrons, the people that make this possible. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Rug, and Elmquest, and Reed now, if you'd like to join that illustrious legion, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and it goes a long way towards helping us produce this podcast. Speaking of patrons, our resident colonial Shigoki, Chris, is here to join us today. How's it going? Well, how's it going with you? I mean, we're doing all right. I gave my spiel. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I uh, um, we Our son is teething. Um, we think, um, so he's been kind of screaming nonstop all day today, but we got him and his sister down to sleep and, um, I am primed and psyched about this episode because, uh, this director means a lot to me. So we'll see how this. Yeah. If you can't tell, we are here to do another director smackdown this time talking about Kevin's. Now we've made a few changes since our last time, mainly based on your feedback. Firstly, we have implemented brackets so that we don't end up with, I don't know what the word for it is, but a lot of people were not happy with our Jurassic Park jaws going up against each other. And we've also kind of changed our format to how we're going to decide, but we'll get to that as we go along. Yeah, before we get any further, I want to say, Chris said something very specific, you know, director being dear. And I think it's interesting because Kevin Smith is such a, a fascinating case study for someone in that particular line of work i remember when i was a lot younger he was certainly like he felt like the movie director that i could most be friends with if that makes any sense you know and and his his aesthetic styles decisions were very much the kind of thing that teenage me was super into and i'm still into a lot of those those movies, but you know, I feel like Kevin Smith's the kind of guy, the kind of director that it's it's normal to have a complicated relationship with him and his output. <laughs> he has a complicated filmography, to be honest. Yeah, I com- I completely agree, especially after rewatching some of these. Um, but the uh, the ones that speak to me um, speak to me very deep, and uh, so it's going to be fun and hard to kind of get rid of some of them, and it's going to be really fun to shit on some of them too, because. Uh, because there's some there's some mistakes in there for sure. So this is going to be yeah. I, I only one movie on this list I haven't seen. I think there are three movies on the list that Ulrich didn't get around to seeing, and I I think Chris has seen all of them. So we apologize for not a a full 
complete there but i know in my case i got i got through like two movies in a row that just made me so tired i i couldn't i was not up to what i had to watch next so i'm sorry yeah some of these are really exhausting no offense to mr smith but you got some movies in there that are really hard for me to get see it's 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 interesting for me and i I, i'm sure we'll agree on a lot of the points um for why um, they're tiring for you guys. Um, and like I said, there's there's some mistakes in here and there's some clunkers for sure, um, especially ones that haven't aged all that well. And we, we can talk about that too. But uh, I don't know. He's the kind of director that he wears his heart on his sleeve for me. So I, I see him all over his movies and I, I follow the guy, you know, personally outside of the films. And, you know, I think a lot of it could come from where you come into his filmography from. Like, I feel like the more recent ones, in particular, um, Red State, Tusk, and Yoga Hosers, might not have as much of a resonance with people um, that haven't followed him up to that point. You know, there's there's a there's kind of an order to things, right? And we can talk about this as we go. But like, I look at certain films in his filmography as like, oh, all right, here's the time where you finally got all that stuff right. You know, it's almost like, okay, here's a chance to relive something that I might not have done as well before. Um, you know, it, a lot of it could parallel almost with like, you know, the, these Disney remake victory laps, right. Where they're able to kind of go and remake one of their cartoons that might be a little outdated and it doesn't always work, but sometimes you sit there and go, you know, guys, I'm really happy you did that <laughs> because that was really weird and gross in the original version of that. So thanks guys. Well, well, also, I feel like Kevin Smith's interesting because film is how he got into the business, but it's not really what his priority seems to be anymore. The last five or six years or so, he has been really pushing like podcasting, like he was a kind of a, a journeyman of podcasting. He is... He's been doing a lot more television directing. I, I know that it's one episode, but I remember just in my brain, that first episode of Reaper was directed by Kevin Smith, and that it just stuck out to me, and I could feel it all over that in the best possible way. So it's like, he's not really a filmmaker anymore anyway, and I mean that in a good sense. Like He's found these other avenues for his creativity that he is outputting very good stuff in. So even if I'm not a fan of his latest films, doesn't mean that his creative output his creative output has necessarily gone down it's just that it's shifted to something different does that make sense oh yeah and 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 i and i like that you know whereas it seems a little bit more artificial with someone like adam sandler who you know i can i can still say that especially after watching his netflix special there's still something there there's a spark that guy still has but his filmography is of late has been kind of the, hey, look, I still have a job and my friends don't, so I'm going to carry him along with me. And that's kind of been Smith's shtick from the beginning. And I like how much of his productions are a, a family effort, if you will, for him and all of his buddies. And, you know, how certain films were there because, you know, his buddy Jay was going through drug rehab and he wanted to give him a job, you know, or, um, you know, okay, I tried a studio movie and I actually out Judd Apatow to Judd Apatow and that was one of my biggest financial failures and it caused me to like leave film forever and get angry at Hollywood and that's where Red State came from and then, you know, Tusk comes from a podcast idea that is so freaking out there and stoner induced that it never should have happened and they went ahead and made it anyway and, you know, it's it's just really interesting when you dig into where the movies came from and 
another thing, it's cool that, you know, you say he's moved away from film, which is the truth, but even starting with that episode of Reaper, his chops as a director have actually improved, <laughs> even though he's not trying as hard. Like, I really don't like the movie Cop Out, and we can get into that more when we talk here, but it was a very competently made film. Like, he, he's working in a genre he's never worked in before, and you could have fooled me that he's never worked in it before, you know, um, and the episodes of Supergirl, The Flash, you know, Reaper, things like that. Um, I guess he's just loved on these sets. So it's cool. I, I'm really excited to see where the Jay and Silent Bob reboot goes. If it's just another, you know, masturbation fest for himself and his buddies and his ideas like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was. And don't get me wrong. I love the hell out of that big <laughs> dumb mess of a movie. But that's all it is. It's just him yeah. going, I'm awesome. And you know, think think about like an R-rated cinematic universe in joke with where Mark Hamill gets an applause sign, right? And then, what's the reboot going to be? Is there going to be you know emotion to it? Is there going to be story to it? Is there just going to be more of that? I have no idea. I mean, the guy almost died for Christ's sakes and decided, hey, you know what? I want to make movies again. It's interesting. Yeah, and real quick before we get into the actual movies too, I like that. You mentioned the family thing and some of the the backstories behind these films it can be very fast like i love the idea yeah i only found out recently that once you know he made clerks and then he's suddenly got like actual studio money to make like mall rats they were really pushing him to replace jason muse with seth green who they considered more bankable and i love me some seth green but jason muse is jay he wrote that character for his best friend and trying to imagine him as not Jason Mewes, but you read the backstory, and yeah, like you said, Jason was going through all these drug problems, and Kevin Smith, you know, didn't give up on him and kept trying to help him for years until finally, you know, helped him kick the habit. And now Jason Mewes has got like a wife and children. It just anyway, the point is, there's a lot of background information to you know talk about how like decent of a guy he is and how he really works for his friends and in, in, in a good way. If that makes sense. So are we ready to jump in? Yes. All right. So first up in our horror fantasy bracket, this is a tough one, but I wasn't going to go anywhere, is Dogma versus Red State. All right, real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in here and say, for me, this is not a tough one. Uh, Dogma, definitely. And here's the thing. I know that Red State has a, has a very strong contingent of fans, and I can understand why, because Red State touches on some very real and strong concepts. And I think I might have liked the movie better if it had the original ending that we've talked about before, which if you don't know, Kevin, you know, Kevin Smith wrote this ending to have a lot more, or wrote this movie to have a lot more of a biblical rapturous ending, which I think would have made the themes that he was trying to go for more coherent. But anyway, Red State to me just kind of comes off as disjointed, but I think that comes from, again, if you listen to Kevin Smith talk about it, he wrote Red State from a standpoint of trying to not let the audience get ahead of him. So every time he knew where he was going with the story, he would jump to something different because he was, he was trying to kind of subvert. And I, I get that it creates a story that does kind of go in some weird directions, but it makes the whole thing feel bulbous and not coherent in a way that like dogma really does feel to me. But I mean, I, I love dogma and I'm not sure if I'm being you know, just biased or anything, but Point is, you have to make a really good argument to convince me to pick Red State over Dogma. 
And that's what I was talking about in that Dogma is such a beloved movie. I think it was my number one, your number one, and I believe Chris's number two in our overall rankings. So anyone going up against this is going to be a hard fight. But I do feel we have to give every movie its fair shake and try and argue about the virtues of Red Sea. I think it is a good movie. I mean, in the sense that I think it feels more real today than it did when it first came out. I mean, I guess. I feel like the Westboro Baptist Church, who are the inspiration for the Five Points uh, Church, is less active because now in the you know present climate space, there are more widespread um, radical beliefs and issues. But I'm not going to – that's a whole other show's topic. <laughs> yeah, not getting into that, but I'm more just saying in that radical, crazy nut job groups – getting into a siege with uh, the government, which happened here in Oregon a couple years ago with the guys that held up in the ranger station. Oh, yeah. See, it it feels more present. And the other reason I kind of have to have a little bit of a soft spot for Red State is I grew up in a certain part of Idaho where everyone always made the joke about the Ruby Ridge Massacre. If you don't know what that is, that was the last time that the ATF bumbled a... uh, event shall we say with a small group of radicalized people can can i also say that for me a weird issue i had with red state is its insistence to not have a main character and that's not necessarily instantly a bad or good thing i've seen other shows that do kind of similar concepts i mean cloud atlas kind of did that for instance and i like that movie but it's more like the choice of who to focus on in individual moments gets kind of weird. Like Red State has this thing where somewhere in the third act, suddenly this girl who's the daughter of the church, like everything about the filmmaking and the way the scene is presented is supposed to, it seems to me that it's conveying to the audience that she is now our quote unquote protagonist for the moment. And while her goal is save the children, which is, you know, admirable in a morally kind of objective way, that still after watching her be involved with the kidnapping and murdering church beforehand. So I found it very difficult not to just want to say F you to this character, even though she was trying to save children, which I don't think is that response was what was supposed to be warranted. And I'm not sure how to, how to do that in a way that works, but that's one of those kind of disjointed weirdnesses that I'm talking about with this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. And Chris, you got any thoughts you want to weigh in on this one with? Oh, yes. Um, so I'm really happy that you put red state and dogma up against each other, because like you said, dogma, dogma is my number two. And as you guys, guys have been talking, I've really been thinking about this and, you know, it's cool that the two that have to do heavily with religion got tied in together because as a, as a guy who went through Catholic school, um, it was incredible to me to watch dogma and to see something that was directed by a guy who, you know, my love for this guy's movies in Catholic school was one of those things. that's like, Oh no, you can't like that. He's dirty. He's vulgar. You know, he made the movie about the lesbians, you know what I mean? And, and, and all of that. And to sit there and watch dogma and have it want to be hilarious to have Jay and silent Bob in it, which, you know, at the time this was the third film, fourth film, sorry, that had them. And, you know, at the time I was in of the younger generation of where I am now. So that was still more like, oh, it's funny because they're like Beavis and Butthead and less because of, you know, how well written or well made the movie is. Um, 
But I sat there and watched Dogma, and it's just, man, he's making humor. He's poking fun at something that everyone around me takes so seriously. And then when you read about him, he's a church-going guy. So it's like, dude, you know, I'm I'm riffing on something that I actually believe and hold dear, and it's actually fairly biblically accurate, which is another really funny thing. And, you know, when you talk about Red State, Red State, you know, there's a lot of cynicism from him, and he was very angry when he was making Red State. It was a very self-produced affair. And I do love the the way that, you know, we were just talking about, oh, he's always trying to one-up himself or get ahead of the audience. But in two movies that were put in side by side, and we're talking about the merit as a director and the merit as films, I think from a a film, Red State might be a better concocted and made, at least as an idea or technically film than a lot of the things on here, just because it's so different. He's working in a genre he hasn't worked in before. But for a movie that's both inherently him and also leaning into the weird biblical fantasy um, stuff, um, Dogma is the the ringing example of that out of these two for Kevin Smith. So to, to put it, you know, one, it's one of my favorite movies he's made. And two, it's so inherently him. You know, it's got the tongue-in-cheek you know, Affleck and Matt Damon that really were in it because they owed him a favor. You know, they make that joke in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. They were in Dogma because they owed him a favor. And they're having an absolute blast. Um, it It's just him all the way. And, and I love that deconstruction. It, he actually showed up to rallies against this film. Yes, as yeah, that's one of my favorite facts and about this movie. And then would come up and take the... The, the stand and go, Hey, it's me. Hey guys, <laughs> you know, and it was just so much fun. I think he was holding, it was either during this or during red state. We held the sign, the kid that Kevin Smith chugs cock hard or something like that. And it, oh, it no, just, I think it was a, a dick taste yummy dick because taste it was yummy. three words. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I think for me out of these two and it, it's, I, I feel bad that it's a resounding yes for dogma, but you know, Red State definitely has merits. I mean, he put his all into that movie. Well, um, if I'm going to, if I have a moment to say something positive, because I feel like sure. I was just being very negative about Red State, I will say, so Red State is shot very well. And here's the thing about Dogma. I love Dogma. One of the things that makes Dogma a quintessential Kevin Smith film is that vast majority, 90% of this movie is simple shots of two to three people talking. And that means from a filmmaking perspective, the quote unquote skill involved is not you know, really on display. It's about exposition. It's about the actors putting these performances. It's about the interesting things they're talking about. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. I love that this is a movie about big ideas and great conversations. But Red State was trying to be something more, uh, you know, film, if that makes any sense. Like it has more kind of sweeping scenes. It has, you know, a much more active camera. Like the entire sequence where Michael Parks is giving his really, really disturbing sermon. It's like, you know, the camera is choosing when to be above him, when to be below him, when to focus on the pews. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that is in red States favor, but yeah, it's still a resounding yes for dogma. <laughs> yeah, no, I, when I was, you know, making up the brackets, I averaged everyone's lists together and dogma came out so high up. And I knew going into it, like this is anyone that goes up against dogma is going to be kind of a hard one to beat. This is the similar problem we had last time with any of the Indiana Jones movies. It's going to be a hard fight to go up against this. So when I saw dogma and red state, I was like, Oh, well that couldn't have been a worse pairing. Well, another thing, another thing I like to point out is that dogma as Chris pointed, there's a sincerity to dogma. I feel like nothing in dogma is anti 
Christianity like you might think it is because, you know, Kevin Smith film about Christianity. I mean, the most it gets is uh, the prophet Rufus has a converse, has a, a thing he says in the movie about an idea is good. It's when it becomes religious and becomes dogma that becomes dangerous. But the movie is very pro-spirituality and God herself in that movie is like, is a being of of goodness right so like the the movie comes from it seems to me a genuine place whereas yeah breadstick comes from a bit more of a cynical you know reactive place so all right so dogma definitely moves forward all right this next one's gonna be fun because they're both well movies okay uh, that is tusk and yoga hosers they are definitely both movies uh, all right. I full cars and table. I didn't see Yoga Hosers because I watched Cop Out and Tusk in the same setting, and I was so. I mean, okay, Cop Out. We'll talk about later, but Tusk made me so angry. Like to a, I didn't know that a movie could make that wasn't like The Amazing Spider Man could make me that kind of angry, and I, I couldn't bring myself. I watched the trailer for Yoga Hosers, and I was like. No, I can't do it. I'm sorry. So I'm going to have to leave it to to you guys, you know, talk about yoga hosers. But Tusk, my God, I ranted at my buddy Woonvog for like an hour about why Tusk makes me so angry. See, so, I can see that because I so, didn't see Tusk, but I saw yoga hosers. Okay, so <laughs> this is this is a fun one. Um, I'm looking forward to you convincing me why one is better than the other because I know Tusk's reputation and that's why I didn't well, watch it. Can, can I say before and then ran out of time before you? Because Chris, I'm guessing you've seen both. So before you go in real quick, let me say oh, that without getting an hour long rant, my main reason why Tusk makes me so angry is that I really like the first forty minutes like a lot, and then I feel like it slapped me in the face. <laughs> like if it had just been you know bad or boring all the way through that's one thing but to be so good up to a point and then kind of throw away everything that going for it ah anyway sorry you go ahead no no it's perfectly okay i don't think there is a person i know where tusk is just eh you know it's either vehement hatred like it sounds like from you or my buddy tim that when we have an oscar party every year he shows up with snubbed movies and we do two categories you know we pick what the academy is going to pick and we pick what we think should win and if you get the most in one you win a blind present dvd and his was tusk one year and I didn't know he liked Tusk that much, but so it's it's very interesting. Um, and that doesn't mean from Best Picture. He he felt that it needed a a screenplay or a Michael Parks Award for actor or something like that. Um, so so one of you saw Yoga Hosers and one of you saw Tusk. Yep, pretty much. Yep. So I'm gonna start here by saying that no matter what, Tusk wins this category for me. Um, but let me explain the merits, even though I know that um Ulrich. Um, hated yoga hosers. It's um, so weird and stupid and nonsensical. So, so I've talked before that for me, Kevin Smith wears his heart on his sleeve, and I love that a lot of his projects are family affairs. Yoga hosers is the biggest example of a movie that you can just tell that everybody involved in it was having a huge great time and that everybody was in on the joke and everybody knew exactly what kind of movie they wanted to make and they forgot to give a shit if anybody else was going to enjoy it or not um i happen to 
love the type of movie it's trying to be. It's trying to be like the cheesy 1980s full moon feature, Puppet Master, um, Leprechaun, you know, all those things kind of movies where, you know. Don't you ca- dare besmirch Leprechaun by I'm, comparing it to I, this movie. Go back and watch it, dude. <laughs> I have. Lepre- I will he give you Puppet Master. on somebody, dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's that. But there's no Bratwurst Nazis. No, in... there is no. So I'm saying type. I'm just saying type. I'm not saying it's as good as. Okay, fair type. enough. So it's Kevin Smith and his buddies and his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter and Johnny Depp and a whole bunch of other people trying to make their version of a cheesy full moon feature. Um, the movie definitely comes off. I watched it and I'm like, is he fucking with me right now? Is this really what he made? It comes off like you found somebody's like home video they made when they were like younger. You know what I mean? Before they were a real filmmaker <laughs> is the way it comes off. <laughs> but it's it's got a lot of heart to me. Like I, it's a big sloppy nonsensical mess. And you know, like Tusk came from a podcast idea, but like you said, Axel, Tusk has about 40 minutes of it where he's firing on like red state level cylinders on like the level of how well shot and how well paced the horror is. But before I get into Tusk, you know, Yoga Hosers is just all over the place. Um, and I love it for it. I think it's stupid and and I enjoy it to death, but it is definitely um, outside of Cop Out. It's the lowest on, on my Kevin Smith list. Um but Tusk, see, I think Tusk either works for you or it doesn't based on that second half of the movie. I was 100% down for the direction Tusk went. I was actually kind of jumping for joy when it, because I'm like, oh my God, he actually made this fucking movie. I can't believe he made this movie. Like, it's a great big body horror, nut bar, fucking weird ass thing. But I will agree that it's a stronger movie leading up to that point. But I just loved that he let go. Um, I will say that, you know, my brother completely agrees with you guys on both of these films and hasn't really enjoyed a Kevin Smith movie outside of, I think, Zack and Miri make a porno since Clerks 2. Um, he actually vehemently hates Red State, Tuscan Yoga Hosers, like with a passion, even though he really <laughs> still even though he really still likes Kevin Smith. There's those movies anger him. And, um, I think, you know, with him, it comes from a different direction than me. I look at it as, it's just my buddy making movies that I like. Like I, I look, I almost look at Kevin Smith as like a friend because we watched all these movies when we were at Blockbuster, we closed down the store and turn them on while we were counting the drawers or turn them on during inventories. We'd quote the whole thing, but you know, red state Tusk and yoga hosers, they're very different things. And yeah, we, like you said, we'll talk about cop out later, but that just makes me sad for him. Um, but, uh, no, for me, and you guys can fight amongst yourselves over which one of these two you want to make go through, because I know it's a tough decision for you. But for me, it's Tusk all day long because he had the balls to do it. Here's what I'll say. Let Tusk go through, and I will rant more about it in its next fight. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at, because the fact that Axel liked at least one half of Tusk is way more than he would like any part of Yoga Hoser. Well, kind of admittedly, though, it's because I like that first half that I'm so pissed about it. But we'll talk about that in a second. I have a positive takeaway from it. One fun fact I do want to know, uh, Yoga Hoser's references back to Tusk. Yes, it does. It, the the two girls who are like the main characters in Yoga Hosers are in a scene in Tusk. The Johnny Depp character is in Tusk. I could. There's things to talk about there, but the yeah, same guy, quote unquote guy Guy Lapointe, um, Guy Lapointe, however you, the 
Quebecois. Um, he's the him and the two daughters. Yeah, are they? They worked at the store of the A to Z, and they're the store that um, the kid from Tusk. What the hell is his name? I don't remember. The actor. Uh, he's in a bunch of shit, but yeah. he loves being in Kevin Smith movies. Um, he he stops there on his way up to this guy's house, and so that's their bit in the movie. It's basically an excuse for Kevin Smith to have his daughter quote lines from Clerks but in a funny Canadian accent. That's really the whole reason they're in both. Apparently he's threatening a third no. uh, yeah. in the great yeah, North trilogy called moose jaws. Oh, yeah, wait, moose. I've heard about this now. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, it's jaws, but with a moose. I actually think that's an interesting idea. Oh yeah. I might watch that. And in yoga hosers, they also mention the, um, the walrus, um, corpses. Okay. Yeah. So, so we know Tusk is going to go through, which means the next, because we're doing these kind of fantasy horror together, the next would be Tusk versus Dogma. So just let me no, get no, this. We're, my... We'll circle back to that one. We've got to we've got to go through the other brackets first. Uh, okay, I'll put this on hold then. <laughs> yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself. Our next bracket is the main Askewniverse with Clerks versus Jay and Silent Bob. I'm going to let you two fight this out because I'm kind of ambivalent to both of them. Okay, then because let me let me say... I think Clerks is maybe more important, whatever that means. That's a very nebulous concept. But Jay and Silent Bob is such a pure experience. Like, Chris is not wrong when he said it's it's masturbatory. It's Kevin Smith just, like, at that point in the career having all these movies and just putting in, you know, oh, let's have Jason Lee play, like, three of the characters he's been in my movies before in this one movie. And let's have, you know, these two characters that normally show up in one scene – Let's just build a whole movie around that. But I feel like it does the, um, it pulls the same trick that Avengers does, where the whether or not it works as a movie is implicitly the like plot of the movie itself, which I think is really neat. And considering he did it that long ago, uh, I think that you know Jason Mewes kind of kills it as Jay. I point is while I like Clerks, I think Clerks, especially if you've worked in you know those kind of situations, can really hit you in a in a very real spot. I feel like Jane Saw Bob Stri- Strike Back is such is such a pure experience that it, it gets my vote for like I just rewatched it like two days ago. And even though I could tell you know that I, I liked it for a lot of quote unquote juvenile reasons, like it still makes me laugh my ass off. I, I adore that movie. <laughs> so I didn't expect to find anybody else on here tonight that was as into Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as me. Yeah, well, here I am. I fucking love Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. I can quote that for hours, man. So so mine my my love for it, even though I'm I'm actually on the fence right now um on this one. I really am. Because clerks clerks I saw so long ago. I remember there was like a news um special about it that me and my brother saw and told my parents we have to rent this movie you know about about the guy who sold his comic book collection to make a movie and it's one of the more successful critic wise independent films of that era you know and all of this and so it was a big deal and we just had to see it but jay and silent bob strike back my buddies um steve and casey saw it at comic-con with Kevin Smith and Jane Muse in the crowd. And they called us up. We worked at Blockbuster with them and said, oh my God, you have no idea how fucking great this movie is. It's just this big mess of everything he's ever put to screen 
It's all in jokes. They're talking directly to you through the TV, you know, and he's doing all the jokes he did in Mallrats that kind of weren't as well fleshed out. Like, you know, Mallrats has that wonderful Stan Lee cameo, you know, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of fun stuff like that. He's fleshing out storylines, like showing that Banky from Chasing Amy actually is gay, you know, um, and, and dur- during the end scene, all these wonderful payoffs. Um, and it, it was just, like you said, it was an experience like the Avengers. I felt like it brought a whole lot of people together in a much smaller group of kind of going, hey, you have familiars here. We get you. Wink, wink. This is funny, right? You get these jokes. When I say, oh, Silent Bob, you're always telling that stupid fucking Amy story over and over again. They don't have to say it. Everyone in the audience just laughs. You know, um, the smells like someone shitting their cereal bit with Holden. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And the, the reason this movie means so much to me and why I can't, it's going to be a hard time seeing a world of Kevin Smith movies without this one. Um, if, if that was the direction we were doing it, but just, it's hard to pick some over them um, is because I saw this with that group of people and my wife, who was just a girl I was dating at the time. who was a friend of uh, one of my bosses. And we went and saw it at one in the morning after Blockbuster closed, it was playing at the local dollar theater because it left main theaters really quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it played at the local dollar theater for like another four months. So we just went back and saw it at one in the morning. I mean, it was a stoner movie, right? So they just played it. And um, we saw it like nine or 10 times, like as a group. We just couldn't get enough of this friggin' movie and then bought the, you know, double disc double wide DVD case when it came out, burned through one of them and had to buy it again. You know, this is that kind of movie for me. So after hearing you kind of reestablish Jay and Bob, you know, I strangely have to pick it over clerks. Yeah. And I want to also say that I think it's easy for someone to say a criticism like, Oh, but Jay and Sawbush strikes back is based entirely on, you know, seeing this with the movies, all these in jokes. And here's the thing. Yes, it has a bunch of in-jokes. I saw Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back after only seeing Dogma. That was the only movie piss I'd seen before seeing it, and I still loved it. Yeah, I didn't understand what the jokes like, you know, the Amy story, but then there's jokes like the two demons sh- or devils showing up on Jay's shoulder after he makes the trouser snake comment, and you don't have to – that's just – that's like a short film of a fucking hilarious scene right there. And, and then, oh, the entire Mark Hamill sequence. My god is is perfect and not based on any so the point is that yes well the movie does have plenty of the winks and you know nods to view as universe fans i feel like there is plenty of good comedy good movie in there that isn't based on that for me anyway don't fuck with the jedi master son yes dear i also love the uh why the fuck they call you cock knocker i mean it's a very interesting story about that true story (laughs) Oh, so good. Yeah. And most as strange as this is, most of Will Ferrell's bits in that are great. And he's hit or miss for me. I loved that his name was Marshall Willenholly. Do you know the reference for that joke? No, I don't. No. The names of the three kids from Land of the Lost are Marshall, uh, Will, and Holly. Oh, uh, I didn't catch that. I love Land of the Lost. How do you not catch that? It's so random, man. Yeah, and again, so we we got off about you know we both love Strikes Back. I think we're both going to choose Strikes Back. I will say, yeah, again, Clerks though. I recognize that Clerks is important. Uh, Ulrich doesn't like Clerks, as he pointed out, but he uh, recognizes that it's not for him. Like Clerks is a very specific kind of movie, and it's I think it's 
like a fabulous and fascinating example of what it is considering what Kenneth Smith had to go through to make it. And I think that, you know, as an art house film, it is, it is important. I just feel like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is a, well, cause he was a little more experienced. It's maybe a more focused uh, experience because it's just this comedy. Like it's not really trying to be a, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back knows exactly what it is. And it sets out to be the best version of what that thing is. And I think it succeeds. And for that, it gets my vote. All right. So I Jay and Silent Bob moves on. Okay. This next one's going to be fun. Uh, Chasing Amy versus Clerks 2. I loathe with a deep abiding passion Chasing Amy. This was the worst one I had to watch. I just, oh, I have I have a rant. I could so, go on about so this here, one. Here's the thing about Chasing Amy I, I want to say is I, th- I think I get it. Like in general, I think I can understand where that kind of mentality comes from, especially from you, Ori. I feel like a lot of what's going on in Chasing Amy is pretty dated by today's standards. And I know that, you, you know, things like love triangles and related concepts are like super hot buttons for you, specifically Ori. For me, Chasing Amy is interesting because I feel like time capsule of you know the year it came out you know it's actually pretty progressive for what it was doing at the time you got to view it from that kind of angle I think that there's let me put it this way I was watching Chasing Amy and I found it eh I, I was not that interested and then the scene uh he realizes that he loves her and then the next day he confesses to her and the way that scene is written acted and shot felt like one of the most emotionally honest things I've ever seen. Like how his whole, like, you know, I just, this is how I feel. I can't hold this back anymore. I don't really expect you to reciprocate, but I have to get this off my chest. I can't live with this, but I'm like, it just, that kind of moment felt so viscerally honest to me that I can't help but respect it. And then the response on her part of that's, this isn't fair. You can't do this. You know, like that felt very emotionally real. And so even though a lot of like what's going on in the the details is pretty dated and kind of cliche, I feel like there's an emotional core that Kevin Smith was wrestling with at the time of like handling, you know, a certain, if not universal, like, you know, widely experienced kind of thing that I, I found very genuine. Does that make sense? Yes. No. I, 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 it makes sense to me. And, and let's just say, you know, I watched this last week um, and I haven't seen it since I was a lot younger. I remember Clerks, Mallrats, and Chasing Amy, I experienced pretty much in real time, like when, when they came out. Um, and Chasing Amy, he was coming right off of Mallrats with this movie. You know, and Mallrats will get into, you know, things about that movie. But, you know, Chasing Amy was a critical darling. That's something that is was incredible because the critics had g- kind of given up on Mallrats. A lot of the jokes about what Jay and Silent Bob is and a lot of like the things they try to say about, you know, a movie about Jay and Silent Bob would be a third rate Cheech and Chong and all this stuff. It's him directly pointing out that this is the movie I probably would have made when I made Mallrats had the studio not told me I needed to make a movie that was more, you know, like a Beavis and Butthead or a Wayne's World kind of a thing, which is what they were pushing him towards, which is why the main cast 
weren't his normal cast of characters. So, but we'll get into that with Mallrats. But with Chasing Amy, you know, he's working with his normal cast of characters. I think, like you said, um, Axel, in that scene with Affleck, I think that's some of the best acting Ben Affleck has put in in his romantic comedy side of his career. Um, he's just fantastic in that scene. Um, the writing in this movie, outside of the outdated you know, faux progressive stuff by today's standards, you know, is, is actually pretty slick and pretty tight. My biggest problems with chasing Amy watching it now are one, the entire character of Banky, especially since I love Jason Lee so much, he comes off as just the exact representation of every toxic douchebag asshole I knew at the time, probably including myself, because I think everybody was running around calling each other gay slurs and shit like that. But my problem is, is that he doesn't really learn anything in the movie. Like you get to this big scene where his big like reveal of how he's going to fix everything is for them all to fuck. And Banky's kind of into it, you know, which is cool. Okay, cool. He's accepting the fact that he's gay, but then they never do anything with it. In the next scene, they kind of give each other like a friendly glance at a Comic-Con. He goes and reveals the Chasing Amy comic to, to um, Alyssa and the movie just ends. And so my biggest problem with Chasing Amy is that I feel like, yeah, well, the dialogue and the subject matter is very progressive and very in your face and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't steer away the, the eventual, okay, this guy was trying to change this girl and make her straight or make her into him. And, oh, is that going to be like the emotional tension and the wrestling match going on in the storyline? When you really get to it, what have they all really learned? They're all just kind of apart and doing their shtick still. And um, that kind of bugs me now way more than it did back then about that movie. Um, I feel that there's at least three other movies on this list. One of them chasing Amy is up against in this round that actually do the emotional, um, very personal writing and drama better than chasing Amy did. And that's why I said, it's cool to see a director kind of get to go back and work out their stuff. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about Clerks 2. I think um, Ulrich was unable to see it. Okay, but, um, so Clerks 2, since we, you, know, you spent all this time talking about Chase Amy, I, I also want to say that I personally with Chase Amy's ending, I, I agree completely with what you said, but I feel like them not having arcs is kind of partially the point. But anyway, another conversation. Clerks 2, my feelings on Clerks 2 are, I found it dull. I found it, uh, what, what's the word? Like, I didn't feel like Kevin Smith was trying, if that makes any sense. Like, I feel like even when something like Chainsaw Bob Strike Back, which, as we've said several times, is masturbatory, I feel like he was pushing a kind of, like, comedic uh, edge to himself, right? And especially, you know, giving Jason Mewes all this you know, screen time, uh, you know, to, to lead and putting all these things, string all these things together, you know, doing like an end zone dance essentially. Whereas clerks Two felt like, all right, let's go back to the well and do this thing to me. Anyway, I feel like maybe there's more involved in clerks Two that I just don't see maybe other people do. But for me, it, it just didn't leave much of an impression of anything good or bad. I felt like it was kind of just lacking. Whereas like chasing Amy, love it or hate it, I felt like he was he was trying something. Whereas I didn't feel like much and maybe this is me being, I don't know, self-centered or fucking ignorant, but uh, sorry if I'm cursing a lot. <laughs> just emotional. But 
I, I didn't feel the same level of effort from Clerks 2, personally. Well, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I don't mean to disagree, but I do. Um, oh, go ahead and disagree. That's the whole point. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so no, and it, it's kind of, I was talking to someone about this the other day when I was preparing my thoughts on this, and Clerks 2 isn't on the top of my list um, out of chance. I, I thought long and hard about this. There's people out there that argue with me that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is one of the worst Marvel movies. I've heard this argument. And hmm. um, they come from it from, they say a very similar thing. And when a person says a movie doesn't resonate with them, it's, it's hard for me to tell them they're wrong. But I will say that I disagree. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, um, aside from beats into Endgame, is one of the only Marvel movies that like just truly knocks me down because of very personal things that it's talking directly to me on. And I feel like that's kind of over some people's heads. Um, so with Clerks 2, um, you know, Which I I'm feel totally like, open to the idea that some stuff's over my head. About yeah, no. It. Yeah. And so with Clerks 2, I feel like Smith, he's culminating tones and ideas that he's played with when it when it needs to be really really over the top and silly like with the goat scene um it uh it goes there but it still has something to say about the characters of dante and randall there's a love triangle type of thing going on in this movie which like i said i feel he failed to put closure on with the characters in chasing amy whereas here you know he kind of makes that the emotional center of do you choose a fake life or do you choose your friends? The the scene between da Dante and Randall and the words that Silent Bob says in this movie are the most important words that character has ever said, second to the ones in Chasing Amy. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I sat in the theater with my friends in that scene in the prison at the end of this where they just go off on each other and, you know, outside of the friend thing, it's, it's when it comes down to that. What would you do? I'd fucking sell everything and reopen the damn quick stop with you and being someone that holds on to that like blockbuster time that I was with everybody that I worked with a blockbuster video. We all turned to each other and we had tears in our eyes and went, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, like he's, he's just bleeding all over the goddamn film. And for me, clerks Two just hits so many of those beats that I feel like he was spending almost his whole career trying to get to. And I don't feel he has one-upped or probably is capable of one-upping himself, in my opinion. I feel like now I want to watch the movie with you. <laughs> to, like, to, I didn't re-watch Clark's Two for the I watched it in college, so like I felt like I was my memory of it was strong enough. But I do feel like, you know, it's possible to go back and look at something from other perspectives. I'm all about perspectives. So I understand what you're saying. And I think I know Ulrich didn't really get the chance to go off on his rant, but uh, just based on on you know what the two movies are, I'm fine letting Clerks two pass through because I feel like I'm just maybe I wasn't in the right headspace for it or something. But yeah, sure. Let me put it this way: I will burn this podcast to the ground if Chasing Amy proceeded. That is my depth of hatred for that movie. So b before I rewatched it again, I had a much stronger argument towards chasing Amy, but watching it again, it clerks two was just 
it did a lot of the things that movie and a couple movies we're going to get to soon that I felt he hadn't really touched on in, you know, the types of films he was making. And it kind of weaved them into the dick and fart jokes better than everything else. I don't know. For me, especially, I feel like, uh, I mean, I haven't heard a lot of your reasons, but I feel like slightly disappointed that that is your feelings on chasing Amy. Like not liking it's one thing, but you know, I, I fucking hate Tusk, but I was like, all right, I'll just let it go through because I can talk about it later. Like it's not the, not a burn what we're doing to the ground kind of thing. So, and I feel you like you underestimate has, my hatred for this movie. Also says, I feel like chasing Amy has merit and it disappoints me when you're, but anyway, not important. Let's let clerks do. Hatred. Okay. On to something that I actually can talk positive about, the comedy bracket with Zack and Mary versus Jersey Girl. And I'm going to start this one off on a strong note. I love Jersey Girl for very manipulative, basic reasons. Well, you guys both have daughters, right? Yeah, and this movie (laughs) just goes right for that weakness and exploits it to the max to the point that this is my number two movie. Maybe Edges Out Dogma, and it is all just because it goes after my, you know, the fact that I'm a father and I have a daughter and I can really relate, and it's a good, fun movie. I don't know if I can be objective about it. And well, I like hey, Zach and Miriam. May, may I say that, like, I don't, ha- I don't have a daughter, and I know that Jersey Girl is, even by Kevin Smith's own admission, he considers it, like, the worst thing he made. It's got, like, Razzie Awards and stuff. I didn't feel, like, I had not watched it up until last week. Because you know everything I heard about it, but I was like, all right, I gotta watch this. And I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I mean, I didn't think it was anything amazing, but I felt like uh, actually it reminded me of well, chasing Amy, and that I felt like there was an emotional core Kevin Smith was was tapping into. It, you know, if his execution was a little awkward, like I mean, I love George Carlin, I do, but his role in this movie is weird it's just weird i don't really I like a, george carlin's whole the power to you but i understand that he, but i felt like a lot of what was going on at the base while very cliche felt emotionally genuine uh whereas zach and mary make a porno i watched that like four years ago i haven't seen it since so maybe my memory is loose on it but i remember thinking that it felt uh it didn't. It felt well insincere. It felt like Kevin Smith trying to make a Jed Apatow movie, which is basically what he was doing. And by that measure, it, uh, it didn't really work for me because it felt like. And I'm not against an artist trying to do their version of someone else's material. That's a perfectly legitimate way to expand your own art. It doesn't mean that it's always going to work. And Zach and Mary didn't really work for me. Uh, I didn't hate it. I just it just didn't really work for me. Here's my problem with Zach and Mary real quick is that watching this, I kind of discovered I'm not a huge fan of Kevin Smith's work because a lot of his comedy is that base dick shit joke humor. And it's like, this doesn't work for me. I don't find this funny. And Zach and Mary kind of scales back on that, but there's also a lot of it in there. And that's probably, again, why I like Jersey Girl so much is it's kind of free of all that really crude base humor. All right, all right, Chris. Uh, I feel like I feel like there's, I'm, I'm, I don't know what the word is, uh, anticipation for this one. This feels like a very interesting one. I want to hear your, your thoughts on, because I don't, I don't really care one way or the other. Neither of these films feels particularly important to me i think i ended up having a better time with jersey girl admittedly i watched it with my my lady and we were like you know 
oh, this is sweet, and the, the young girl's doing a good job. And but eh, I I'm probably easily convinced either way. So you know, I I feel the same way too. I I really dig both of these movies. Um, the thing that I really like about Zach and Miri make a porno is that it's basically Kevin Smith doing the story of making clerks as a Judd Apatow movie. When you really look at it, the, the guy who has to work in the place he works and put up the stuff over the windows after hours, which is the whole reason why in clerks, the thing doesn't lift, right? Is they could only film at night when the store he actually worked in was closed. So to make it look like daytime, they just have the freaking shutters down on the windows <laughs> that was basically how they did it. So I love how, again, you know, Zach and Miri and clerks too, are these very personal movies that I feel like Zach and Miri was almost him trying to say, okay, because correct me if I'm wrong. Was Zach and Miri before or after clerks too? After, after. And I feel like Zach and Miri was an attempt to kind of, cause clerks too didn't do well at all um, either. And Zach and Miri didn't do very well either. And I feel like, the um uh the Judd Apatow thing, you know, was him kind of trying to make up for Clerks too, um, with some people. And yeah, it does have a little bit of insincerity feeling to it, but I like seeing, you know, Jane Muse show up as an actual character and be hysterical. I like seeing Randall show up as the cinematographer and be freaking hysterical. You know, to see his kind of regulars showing up in a more normal movie was really cool to me. But when we got to pick a movie for Kevin Smith that can go up against these other ones at the end, I agree. Jersey girl wins this because it it's Kevin Smith at his core being less vulgar. And with that, I feel like a more sincere and honest and charming story pops out. And, and I really dug that about it. I will say I never once thought about Zach and Mary as Jed Apatow lens story of the making of clerks. And that makes it already way more fascinating for me. I have to go back and rewatch it with that perspective in mind, but I do like the, the sweetness at the core of Jewish girl. And I'm going to still vote for that. Yeah. All right. So here's the big title match folks. Cop out versus mall rats. Haven't can, seen mall rats. Thought right, cop can, out was okay. Here, here's the thing. Uh, mall rats. I feel like is, how do I put this? The dullest of, Kevin Smith's Kevin Smithy movies, if that means anything, right? Like Marth is fine. I, I don't, I don't hate it or anything. I just feel like it is the, I mean, it was his first, he got studio money and he was like, all right, I'm going to make, well, kind of like how uh, Chris put it there where like, you know, Chase Amy was like, here's what I would have made if I, if the studio didn't force me to make the Beavis and Butthead movie essentially. And I feel like Marth's kind of suffers for that. While it has plenty of good parts in it, it, but on the other hand, cop out, like, I, I well, I definitely agree that Cop Out feels like it was made by someone who has made cop movies before. My main problem with Cop Out is that it feels like the most generic cop movie you could make. Like I just, I just, I'm watching it. I just glaze over like nothing. Admittedly, I'm not a big fan of Tracy Morgan's humor in general, like in anything he does, except maybe Thirty Rock, but. And Bruce Willis just can sleepwalk through roles like this. And it, that feels like what he's doing here to me. And I know there was some stuff going on behind the scenes between him and Kevin that was problematic. But the movie that came out just feels so bland. Like, while I don't really care for Mallrats, I feel like Mallrats was still an auteur director putting their own style out there. Whereas Cop Out is Kevin Smith competently 
directing someone else's story and aping you know styles of like other action directors you know very well but in just the most blandest way possible <laughs> so my vote would probably go to mall rats for that yeah it's, it's mall rats all the way cop up makes me angry and i and i'm angry that i had to sit through it all right all right so real quick we'll do our ad read for the episode and move on to the semi-final sure uh, this week's episode is brought to you by the Talkbuster Pod. Every episode, Chris Chippen and a guest reminisce about their times working for Blockbuster. Even if you never worked for Blockbuster, I guarantee you will find the stories both hilarious and relatable. Listen to the Talkbuster podcast on all of your favorite platforms. Okay, I want to jump right into this. And if I if he's a, if Ulrich's allowed to say I will burn this podcast down to the ground for chasing him as chosen, I want to say I will burn this podcast down to the ground if Tusk gets chosen over Dogma. Because, all right. I'm going to use this time now to do – I'll try to be quick to get my, my, my Tusk thing. So so like I said, first 40 minutes of Tusk are really good, right? Like it, it feels – Michael Parks is doing this kick-ass performance where he's coming off really creepy and, you know, and it's scary. But at the same time, he's really fascinating and engaging. He's telling these war stories and shit. And the tone is all really creepy but interesting and engaging. You get this feeling like, I know I'm in danger – but I, I'm interested anyway, so I'm not going anywhere, even though I know I'm in danger. And it's it it's so well done. It's firing on those those filmography cylinders that Chris talked about that Red State had, but when it's like showing just this room that they're in and going across all the knickknacks he has in the walls, and I was super into it. And then well, actually I should say then, you know, the whole like poisoning and cut off the leg thing, I was still into it. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm still on this. It, now it's like we get into the creepy part of, you know, I start doing, you know, serial killery things. And then the floppy walrus suit shows up and kind of throws all the tone down the drain. And just so no one thinks that I'm like, you know, just a snobby, like, oh, I'm not in a schlock. You know, I, I love schlock. In fact, I think that if this movie had gone to a more ridiculous level of schlock, I would have been doing I was talking with Moonbog about this. If, if instead of like weird, gory walrus bodysuit, like if he just planted his face on like an actual walrus like you know more magical technology where he just like turned him into a walrus i would have been more into it like i feel like that level of ridiculousness would have been way more interesting than what they went with which was ridiculous but also body horror so it was this weird tonal thing that just distracted from each other and just killed all the goodwill that it had like cop out is bad because cop out is boring all the way through tusk pisses me off because i felt like there was all this promise and then it slapped me in the face and called me stupid for thinking that there was anything good to begin with like in gullible and this is why fucking tusk pisses me off and then the, the ending it didn't even give me a kind of like sad but you know, artistic, like satisfying ending. Instead, it goes for the I want to make you feel as bad as possible, and not in the good upgrade way either. In the like, you're just gonna leave this theater feeling cheated and upset. And okay, I'm done. Yeah, is anyone really going to argue that Tusk is better than Dogma? Oh fuck no! <laughs> All right, I like the. Uh, Can I just? Because just because you haven't seen it, I am. But Chris, you see it. Can you? Am I off base? Is there truth in what I in my rant? <laughs> like I said before, um, I think your rant is one hundred percent truthful. But 
because the movie affected you in the way that it did. I think for the reasons that you got angry at it or the reasons that I got really excited for it. But now I feel like I was cheated Justin Long's face being surgically attached to a walrus. And now I want to see that movie. Yeah, it's just, it's a little change. I think that change would have allowed it to keep the, okay, let me put this way. There's a schlock movie. I don't remember what it's called, but it's this like black and white film where they're in this big ass mansion and there's like something creepy roaming around and it feels like a good old fashioned horror movie. And at the end, it's just a frog, like it's a big frog. And because of how ridiculous oh. and, and nonsensical that was, I love it. Like that's the kind of schlock where I was like, there's oh, no yeah. fucking connection that's that i love like bob that's did an episode about that what the yeah. fuck is the name of that movie i don't know but like that's i watched kind of that with him yeah that works for me that but if it was like a frog made of human parts then it would have been like okay that's kind of distracting from the weirdness for body horror and it that wouldn't work for me so these are anyway. arguments yeah uh, i just want to illustrate that i'm him. not yeah, I just want to illustrate that I'm not anti-schlock. I do like schlock. I just think that Tusk fails as schlock for me. Well, I think you brought up the, the point earlier with Red State, and I think I brought it up a little bit more with Yoga Hosers, is I give him credit for trying genres he's not comfortable with, but none of them, none of those three movies fully succeed in doing a great job of the genre they're in. Um, for me, Red State is the best movie of the three, but I loved seeing how good he handled horror for the first half of Tusk. Because the second half of the movie isn't really horror, it's just being fucking weird, you know? But the horror in the first half was fantastic. And Red State kind of, it promised itself to be a horror movie and it was different. It was, it was more of a action standoff movie, which is great. Um, but yeah, Dogma all the way. Dogma, uh, and, and you know, I helped Ulrich come up with these bracket names and you know i really do feel you know out of the ones that could be considered fantasy and horror you know dogma hits on a lot of those things there's there's a few horrific things in dogma they're played for humor but they're there you know the idea of the end of the world um the idea of you know the angels and their wings getting cut off and like it it gets a little fucking intense um and so yeah dogma all the way all right now i instead of going into next bracket can we just agree that of the four movies left, Dogma, Strikes Back, Clerks Do, and Mallrats, that Mallrats is going. Can we just can we just agree with that and move on? Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, let's eighty six that one for time. Yeah, again to anyone who likes Mallrats, hey man, more power to you. But in this list, it's the weak link. So, and a shout out again to Mallrats for being the first Stanley cameo. All right, Jay and Silent Bob versus Clerks Two. Uh, I'll just give my quick piece on it. I really was unmoved by Jay and Silent Bob. Um, not big fans of their characters, and most of the jokes in the movie that made me laugh were not related to them. I think the best one was, and sometimes you just gotta do a movie because you owe a friend a favor. Look to camera. That actually got me to chuckle. And there's a monkey, and I like monkey. Here's here's the thing. For me, it's an obvious choice for Jay and Silent Bob, but I feel like what Chris said is important enough that i'm like i'm double guessing i I, i'm having a hard time like clerks 2 might be more important there might be stuff there that i'm just not equipped right now to to see like but for me you know it feels like jay and silent bob is the the choice but i i don't know i feel like I'm, i'm at a loss for words at this particular juncture here's my two cents and i'll i'll make this quick for me 
the majority of Kevin Smith's career as a director has been the little writer that could. He he's a writer's he's a writer's director. It's all about good dialogue between buddies sitting in a room. And while I love 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 Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, that movie to me is a celebration of characters, Jay and Silent Bob being those characters where everybody else that he's established in his films act as secondary characters to them, whereas the majority of the rest of the Askew universe, Jay and Silent Bob are secondary characters to the more important Bankies, Brodies, and the two most important being Dante and Randall, which are in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and are the whole reason Jay and Silent Bob find out about, you know, have to go off on their own and find out about the movie anyway, because they get you know, kicked out of being able to hang out in front of the quick stop. So to me, you know, I hate to move it back to the Askew universe, but it's going to be hard for me to let a movie win this that isn't part of the Askew universe. Because when you talk about a movie that's as important for a director, it's the universe he created that I'm going to go for. So while Jay and Silent Bob strike back for me, like you said, is the Avengers of the Askew universe, Clerks 2 has the writing, it has the heart, it has the emotional center where it can have jokes that are as winky and silly and over the top as Jay and Silent Bob strike back, but Jay and Bob are still back as background supporting roles to the bigger universe that he's creating there. So I skew towards the movie that exists in the quote unquote real world, whereas Jay and Silent Bob strikes back kind of exists in this end of blazing saddles kind of fourth wall breaking run out of the film and just be winky the whole time kind of thing and while i love how well he handled that it's just different it it doesn't represent what he is as a filmmaker to me as much as clerks too and that that's all i i will say that i think chris your your presentation is very moving and it's very convincing for me because while I will still say that for me personally, like, you know, Jane Silent Strikes Back is probably in like my top, you know, maybe not my top 20, but like my top 30 favorite movies, period. And Clerks 2 probably wouldn't even be in my top 100 just personally. And again, that's a very personal thing. I think that the idea of importance of uh, personal connection to the writer and these concepts, like, I would be super interested in picking your brain after, like, you know, like, while we're watching the movie, like, do a thing like me and Ulrich used to do watching Watchmen, like, watch the movie, you know, pause at certain points and talk about it. Like, I feel like that'd be a good experience with you. I I still love Jane Saw Bob more, but for purposes of this discussion, this, the director Smackdown, what is the more important film, I am okay letting strikes back fall away because it is a just a an end zone dance it's a celebration of what he'd done of his characters whereas clerks 2 was more like even from my perspective is more like an affirmation of his artistic journey does that make sense right and and remember clerks 2 you know out of every movie he's made clerks 2 physically hurts me to get through it and when a director can resonate, and I don't mean in, in like, a, oh, this is a bad movie. I mean that it cuts. And for my buddy Steve, it means something completely different because he was actually getting ready to move. He moved to Florida and left all of his friends behind. And that's like the subplot for Dante in the movie, you know, of like, are you going to leave this behind? But for me, you know, I'm, I'm happy that my my thoughts on it 
were enough to sway at least you into wanting to see it again. But look up on YouTube after this, the sequence where Dante and Randall go to the um, uh, go-kart park and tell me that there isn't a thing from your childhood or a thing you remember from where you grew up or whatever that just that scene just doesn't hit you when you watch it now. Um, he says, he goes, Hey, you know, they're having a bad day or something bad goes down, or it might've been right after the quick stop burnt down or something. And he says, Randall, what do you need to do? And he goes, I just need to get out of here and go to the fucking go-kart park. And it's a scene without any dialogue. And it's just shots of them running around in go-karts. And Randall is just laughing like a six-year-old and having a great time. And I'm, I'm tearing up just talking about it. And for a guy to be able to hit something that hard with a scene with no dialogue, he just grew so much as a filmmaker and it's all over clerks too, for me. All right. So we go into the final three. Uh, final table. two. Now we got three. We Four have three books. brackets. They all come together. Oh, I must've missed uh, writing one down. All right, go ahead. So from the horror fantasy bracket is dogma. From the Manus universe is Clerks 2, and from comedy, it's Jersey Girl. So I'm going to start by putting Dogma off in its own separate bubble because I'm not ready to tackle it. Uh, um, then Dogma. I'm going to say, I think this is easy. I think we should drop Jersey Girl. Again, while I think it's very sweet, I know you two are both fathers, and it touch, hits you in a very personal place. There is a reason. There is a reason why you know one Razzies, and like while I I do like it, and while I do think it comes from a genuine place, I feel like its impact is you know extremely minimal. I feel like the actual artistry on display was still very much someone learning what they were doing. I, I feel like it is. What's the word? It's. I mean, well, it's kind of like watching your child do a school play. You love them and you enjoy it, but you recognize that, you know, these aren't, <laughs> you know, masters. Okay, well, I'm going to cut you off here because this all has to be unanimous. So you have to convince me why Clerks 2 is better than Jersey Girl. Well, hmm. You've given me I all think... these reasons why you think less of Jersey Girl, but you have not given me a reason why well, Clerks 2 is better. <laughs> I feel like... Personally, all the reasoning I've heard from Chris is enough for me to pick it over Jersey Girl already. Uh, I mean, already I was going to pick it over Jersey Girl because I felt like it was more, what's the word, uh, professional? No, that sounds too robotic. Um, the Jersey Girl is a floundering attempt. It's a very sweet one, but I think it's floundering, so... I um I give Jersey Girl a little bit more credit than that, but my reasoning for it dropping under Clerks 2 um, for you, Ulrich, is that Jersey Girl is the best example of Kevin Smith trying to do a type of movie that isn't the kind of movie he makes. And other examples of that are Red State, Tusk, Yoga Hosers, and the worst example of that for me is Cop Out. J Jersey Girl and Cop Out are are very similar in that Jersey girl is trying to be just your bargain basement, average everyday rom-com. And that's kind of what he was doing in chasing Amy as well, but he elevated it semi because at the time he was using his sort of dialogue and his world he created to kind of um, add little winks and fun, you know, geekisms to that. Jersey Girl is just him making a Ben Affleck romantic comedy, and there were a thousand like it at the time. It's better than them, but there were a thousand like it at the time. So if you're going to have Dogma, Clerks 2, and Jersey Girl, 
there there isn't for me two more quintessential Kevin Smith films than Dogma and Clerks 2. This is the Jaws Jurassic Park conundrum we've ended up with here for me. This is going to be very hard for me. So getting Jersey Girl out of the way is the easy choice. And also, don't get me wrong, I don't dislike Jersey Girl. Like I said, I actually really like it. I just think that in this particular list, I like the the idea is if we're looking at a quintessential Kevin Smith film, as Chris put, Jersey Girl isn't really a quintessential Kevin Smith film. It is a sweet film that I enjoy, but it is not really his style. It's him working on something that isn't his style, artistically growing, but it's not that, you know? And I will say this, we are definitely tagging Kevin Smith in this and letting him know that that little movie Jersey Girl that I'm sure he was very psyched about when he made and then came to start crapping on when more people crapped on it. You know, we love it, dude, especially me. I, I love Jersey Girl. Yeah, and like I um, said, so don't let me, just because I think it's floundering, that all I mean by that is I think that he grew, at, he grew as a director afterwards, and I think the growing pains are still visible, but I like Jersey Girl, so. All right. Jersey Girl is probably my number one or number two favorite Kevin Smith film for obvious reasons, less obvious reasons being I've heard, I'm not a big fan of him, his art, his directing style. I will say that I'm letting it drop because Chris put the nail in the coffin. It is a Ben Affleck romantic comedy that is way better than any Ben Affleck romantic comedy. And in the great retrospective of Kevin Smith's career, it's not necessarily the best representation of his style. And whether I like his style or not is besides the point. The point is Clerks 2 is a better representation of him as a director than Jersey Girl. So I will let Jersey Girl fall away. And we now move to Dogma versus Clerks 2. I'm really interested in this one. I'm going to be upfront and say that, I mean, I've loved Chris's points so far. And if they're enough for me to completely reevaluate my opinion on Clerks 2, I'll go back and rewatch it probably tomorrow. But I still haven't heard anything that would make me think it deserves the spot over Dogma, which we've kind of avoided talking about in any sort of length. But goddamn, is Dogma such a brilliant piece? Of what, well, I guess we talked about it quite a bit, actually. But anyway, point is, that's my stance right now at this moment. Dogma's only flaw is that it takes on a lot and it's kind of messy but i still feel it all comes together in the end that is the only critique i can really give dogma i mean okay oh go ahead so i i have a thought i feel like forcing a decision between these two movies and this is just my take you guys can disagree is unfair to what we're doing here if all three of us haven't seen it. Um, I'm not going to say that we're going to go ahead and watch Clerks 2 and that you guys are all both going to agree with me. I'm, I'm well, wait, has Warwick not seen it? I mean, I've seen it, just not recently. I have not seen Clerks Correct. 2. It's one of the ones I did. Oh, then he's so right here's, then. So here's, need... No, so here's what I'm going to do. I, I think this is a cool place, especially since I have to end this soon. I think... I'm actually happy enough to say that out of what we have seen, I'm happy to let Dogma be the put a pin in it top of the pile for right now. But I think we should do a follow-up where, and I'm going to rewatch both of them because I haven't watched Clerks 2 and Dogma recently. And I think we see what our thoughts are after all three of us have seen both movies. All right, fans, here's what we're going to do. As of right now, 
Dogma holds the title for Director SmackDown, Kevin Smith. We will come back with a buckler or a shorter episode or something further down the line after this has come out in which we compare and see if Clerks 2 can unseat Dogma. I, I like that. Plus, it's, a, it's an excuse to get all three of us here together again. So it works for me. Right, and I think, I think we had some great points and some great battles during this, and I... I just, you know, I don't want it to be that, oh, you know, Chris said so many great things about Clerks 2 that we're going to let it win. <laughs> I, I don't want that to be the case. And I think coming back and having a, you know, a discussion about the merits of both, especially because Dogma for the longest time was really the best thing he made. I also do feel like Ulrich, considering these are the last two, it would also be unfair to, you know, complete this without you having seen one of them. Like, we need you to input. So. All right, then. So we will come back to this at a later date. So subscribe and stay tuned. All right. Well, before you go, Chris, you care to give us a quick suggestion and or uh, promotion, plug yourself, whatever you want to do? Well, first of all, I'm just going to say that it actually um, I was unaware that you were going to ad read me today. And that actually it choked me up, man. I, I really thank you guys. That made me really happy. Yeah, we've got him in a couple episodes, but I've been forgetting it recently. And then I realized this is the first time you're going to hear it. No, dude, that was wonderful. That I'm like, oh, cool. Ad read. Like, does he actually have, you know, because um, I mean, I'm a patron. So, of course, ad reading for me is, is a great idea because I, I give you money. Um, but um, yeah, dude, I'm going to have to do one for you. That That made me really happy. Thank you. Like, and I mean that, like that, that, that actually got me all choked up. Well, it's not just because you give us money. We like your output, and we think people should pay attention to you. So, oh no, I, I get it. Just ad read. I'm like, oh cool. Did they like get like you know like like um, Paramount Pictures or something to like give them <laughs> money if they talk about their new movie? I was like, holy crap, shit. <laughs> this- Paramount, if you're listening, we will we we will take uh, promotions. I don't know what you've got out right now, but we'll talk about it. Same here. I'll promote something terrible. I don't care what it is. <laughs> All right, well, normally we do suggestions, but we're kind of out of time here, so maybe we'll push them off to our buckler. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea to me. All right, well, we'd like to thank Chris for coming on. Sorry this ran long. All right, well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things, because those are the only way this podcast grows. And I'm supposed to promote our platforms, whatever platform we're watching us on. Thank you. And we're also, because we're on SoundCloud and YouTube, and by the time this comes out, we'll be starting getting into Podbean, which I believe we are uh, pushing forward on. So whatever platform works best for you, let us know if there's one that we're not on that you want us to be on. Tell us about it, and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander O'Reilly. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. All right, right at the 10.30 for me, 12.30 for